Indeed, O oh God, that is why we have come. We have come to worship the newborn king, the one who was born so that later he could die. The one who invaded planet Earth so that he could bear our sin and shame and guilt and set us free from the punishments that our sins deserved. Father, we come to adore you and pray that as we gather as your people, you will see arising from each heart in these pews the kind of adoration, the kind of consecration, the kind of affection and love that so pleases you. Oh, God, we love you. We, we are sorry we love you so little. But, oh, God, might we love you more as a result of this hour spent in worship. Our Father, this is such a fun time for, for us who know Jesus Christ to think that all of the celebration that's going on around us, that, we, that we're really a part of it, that we're not some stranger to the celebration, that we're not some alien, some foreigner who has no right to celebrate. Oh, no, God. We are people who have been bought with a price. And so this Savior that is being sung about in the malls is our Savior. This King that is being celebrated uh, in, the, in the retail centers of, the, of, the, of America and around the world, that's our King. The God who is being thanked for His provision and goodness and the peace among men. That's our God. He is our Father. We are His sons, His daughters, His, His children. We are people who one day will stand before Him and be judged indeed, but be found to be true. Not because of merit of our own, but because of this, the merit of the one whose birth we celebrate. And so, Father, thank you that though we were once strangers and aliens to all of this at one time, for me it was 22 years since then, because of your sovereign grace, you have swept me into this kingdom and so many others in this room. And now we're a part. We're a part of the family and boy, is this a fun time of the year for the family. And so, Father, accept our praise, accept our gifts, use them to honor and glorify the one about whom we sing. We also pray in that name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Now, take your Bibles and let's open them to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read a very familiar story. But it is the season. So let's read it again. Most of us never tire of the season nor the story that it uh, contains. You follow as I read. I'm going to read the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, 
But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it is eternal. In private, many of you have heard me bemoan um, the, uh, how difficult it is to preach at Christmas time and during Easter. Um, maybe I've done it in public too, but uh, the, the reason it's so difficult is because it's already all been said. And, and probably better than what you're likely to hear said today. And, and add to that, that during Christmas time and, and during Easter, the expectations of people are higher than they are uh, normally. And so they, they come thinking they're going to hear something new and inspiring and, you know, nifty. Well, chances are um, that that might not happen. If uh, you get anything out of the uh, next couple of sermons, this week and next, you're going to have to work hard at it. Uh, because we're going we're gonna to look at something that is kind of a reconstruction of a, of a piece of drama. Uh, I think it's drama. And uh, just see where that takes us. Now, having said all that, aren't you glad you came here today? Uh, aren't you looking forward to next week? Well, we'll, uh, we'll do our best to um, um, draw things out of the text that will, um, that will be hopefully applicable for you. My theme for the next two weeks has to do with the magi, the wise men, the we three kings of Orient are guys, those guys. That's who we want to talk about for the other, for the next, for today and next week. By the way, um, many of your translations differ. Uh, some call them the wise men. Some of them, I think the NIV use, still uses the term magi. The Greek term is magi or magoi, and we get our English term magic or magician from it. But it has to do with wise men. They were known for their wisdom. So that's what we're going to look at um, uh, for the next couple of weeks. Surely you've seen the little bumper sticker that, said, uh, that says, uh, wise men still seek him. Well, if, if, you, if you haven't seen that, uh, there's a big banner that is hanging off the Mecca building over on Poplar, right close to Cozumel. So... Um, but uh, both the banner and the, the bumper sticker are alluding to these guys who are the, the central characters of Matthew chapter 2. Now, 
what I want to suggest to you is that there is a lot to learn for us from these guys. And um, so that's my, that's my intention. That's my hope is that we're going to take a look at these three guys. And as a result of having done so, we're going to be wiser. Here we go. Standing almost at the periphery of, of the Christmas story are three guys with gifts in their hands. Three? Were there only three? Well, actually, we don't know, ladies and gentlemen. Um, there could have been more. The reason that we conclude that there were three of them is because there were three gifts. And uh, because there were three gifts, and we don't think somebody came without one, uh, we conclude that there must have been three wise men, but there very, could, very likely could have been more than three. They, um, they occupied a, prof- a, a, an, uh, a pro- their profession was something to do with um, philosophy or theology, or they were astronomers or scientists. They could have been seminary professors. You pick. My personal preference is that they were probably some kind of astrologers because um, it, it was a star that was used to steer them and lead them. They weren't kings, even though we call them that. They weren't kings, and there may not have been three of them. But we're pretty convinced and pretty sure that at least they were wise. They were most likely from Persia, the kind of the modern Iran, Iraq area. Um, and some said they were even from Arabia because gold, frankincense, and myrrh were plentiful in Yemen. There is one legend that even names them. It gives the three of them names. Casper, uh, Melchior, and Balthazar. And that legend goes on to suggest that each man was from a different continent. Uh, one was from Africa, one was from Asia, and one was from Europe. So we've got kind of a, uh, an international jet set on our hands. But in the main, ladies and gentlemen, you've got three men, probably in their low 50s, um, willing to travel, uh, probably very wealthy. Uh, you know, you don't uh, give out gold unless you've got plenty of it yourself. And um, uh, we know for sure... We, we feel certain that they were known to be wise. Now, having said that, ladies and gentlemen, what is it that we can learn from three wise guys? Well, I want to suggest one thing this Sunday morning and then another thing next Sunday morning. But here is the first thing that they teach us. Ladies and gentlemen, the journey on which you find these three wise guys is a journey much like yours that originated in faith. Objectively, they see a star. And then they, as a result, leap to conclusions that it is his star. We're told that in verse 2. Whose star? Well, the, the king of the Jews, his star, uh, somewhere, somehow, they got wind of, of a sort of a, um, a special king that was being born. They see a star and they launch out into a journey. By the way, 
I said, somewhere, somehow, they got wind of a king. Where did that come from? Uh, was it communicated somehow in the heavens? Probably not, ladies and gentlemen. The source of their information probably came from a guy whose name you'll recognize. Daniel. Daniel was a man who was drugged into captivity in that same area of the world and very likely left behind some kind of documentation, some kind of written record of the, the God that he served. And, and certainly Daniel studied the, the book of Jeremiah. Perhaps some of those scrolls were left in that area of the country. And as a result of getting some kind of wind of this... Um, of this new special really big king that was going to be born. They launched this journey. In essence, these three wise guys, they only had a rumor to go by. Kind of a, a whiff of the divine. And as a result of the whiff of the divine, all of their lives gets restructured. All of their lives are reordered around the rumor in which they now believe. Um, the changes that were necessary for them to take this journey are huge, ladies and gentlemen. But that's all fine. Because we're so overcome and we're so overwhelmed by the rumor. You know, for many today, ladies and gentlemen, God cannot possibly exist unless, of course, he, he makes himself visible. But not for these guys. They, they've never heard a definition of faith, but they illustrate one. You, you know the definition that is given to us in Hebrews chapter 11? That faith is being certain of what we do not see? Well, here they are, ladies and gentlemen, a group of men, three perhaps, who are convinced of the truth of something that they have never seen. And so certain are they that all of life is adjusted to reflect what they now believe to exist. Although they haven't seen anything, all they've gotten is... A rumor. And as a result of believing that rumor, their, their careers, their professional lives, all put on hold as they follow this, this rumor. They stake their life on it. Something they've never seen. They leave behind the familiar. They leave behind their, their professions, their positions, their, their, even their families. As they launch this, this faith venture. But, but in one sense they can't help themselves. Because there is something so attractive. So irresistible. So charming about this rumor. That they, they mount their camels and they head out. No matter what kind of difficulties await them. I, I found a, a poem by T.S. Eliot. I, I have really become somewhat, of, in, somewhat interested in T.S. Eliot. T.S. Eliot uh, died at age 65. Excuse me. He died at age... He died in 1965. But he became a Christian at 39. 
he became a Christian out of Unitarianism, which is interesting. That's perhaps why I'm interested in it. But anyway, he wrote a poem, and I'm not going to read you the whole thing. But I want you to see the sense that T.S. Eliot had about this journey that these fellows were on. Listen. A cold coming we had of it, just the worst time of year for a journey and such a long journey. The ways deep and the weather sharp, the very dead of winter. And the camels galled, sore-footed, refractory, lying down in the melting snow. Oh, there were times we regretted the summer palaces on slopes, the terraces and the silken girls bringing us sherbet. Then the camel men cursing and grumbling and running away and wanting their liquor and women. And the night fires going out and the lack of shelters and the cities hostile and the towns unfriendly and the villages dirty and charging high prices. A hard time we had of it. At the end, we preferred to travel all night, sleeping in snatches, with the voices singing in our ears, saying that this was all folly. Oh, a difficult journey awaits you, my friends. It doesn't matter, say they. It doesn't matter. Because once that rumor gets inside of you, Everything changes. So I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, that in response to something that they had never seen, they launch a journey that completely reconstructs their lives. They take off into a direction based on nothing, nothing but a rumor that they now believe in. And as a result of this journey, they become a witness to the existence of another world. That is, everyone who saw them in this journey perhaps wondered why on earth would anybody take a journey and kind of an irrational, crazy, uh, spooky thing like you're doing is crazy. But at least they were forced to think, well, you know, these guys sure do take this thing seriously. You know, they might be right. Who knows? They become a, a witness to an, an altogether new world. Sure, they, they were, there are people out there that would dismiss them as being crazy. But at the same time, while they're calling them crazy, they're confronted with the prospect, with the, with the possibility that these guys might know something they don't. Guys, um, there was that... An article written, actually, it was in 1900. Uh, and the, the title of the article, it was written by a historian, uh, and the title of the article was The Dynamo and the Virgin Mary. And in this article, um, this author states that the electric motor had replaced the Virgin Mary as the one who now directed the course of history. Now, I tell you that to say this, ladies and gentlemen. There, are, there were three men in this culture who were so convinced that there was another world that existed that they launched into this journey. In the world in which you live, you and I live in, ladies and gentlemen, anybody who makes these kinds of changes in their lives, they're considered a little bit odd. Because as you know, ladies and gentlemen, there is no other world 
I mean, the electric motor saw to that a hundred years ago. That other world has been displaced. It's been removed by science and by, by technology. Well, that kind of, that kind of thinking didn't affect these guys. They had nothing to launch them but a rumor. And it was that rumor that once it had seeped into their souls, ladies and gentlemen, changed everything that they did. And they listened to all of the accusations that they were fools, and they went ahead anyway. And they experienced all kinds of difficulties and cold and hostile cities and towns unfriendly and villages dirty and charging high prices. That's okay. Because there's another world. There's another world with another set of values and another set of realities that they're chasing. There's something else that's interesting I thought about their influence, that is, these three crazy men who launched this journey by faith. If you'll notice verse 3 again, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. That is, once the, um, once the Magi arrived in Jerusalem, everybody is upset. Herod's upset. All of the city's upset. You know, it's not every day that, that three guys from Persia visit Jerusalem. Um, and after Herod hears of them, he directs his scribes to go find it. Okay, where is this guy supposed to be born? They come back. They come back and tell him Bethlehem, which is the right answer. And yet, ladies and gentlemen, none of them. None of them joined the three wise men on the trip to Bethlehem. They stay home. The three wise men, they're pretty excited about what's about to take place in Bethlehem, but they're the only ones. I mean, um, we're too busy to be involved in some kind of uh, strange pursuit of some strange idea that you guys have got. Why, there's uh, planes to catch and bills to pay. We'll... um, We'll just stay with our books. Now, now these were the guys that, that studied the scriptures for a living. But you fellows run on. We're a bit too busy to be, to be bothered with this. We'd rather stay with our books. And yet, um, even though the experts were... We're thinking them a little nuts. Even those experts in the religious world, thinking them a bit nuts, it didn't matter to them. Because again, once the rumor takes hold of your soul, you don't care who thinks you're nuts. You gotta, you gotta get on with the journey. They're, um, There were scribes in Jerusalem who uh, had more books, but they didn't believe the rumor. They perhaps had more uh, experience in religious things, but, but they just didn't believe the rumor. And so they remained seated with their books because these fellows, you know, they can't. They can't prove anything. They're only following a rumor. 
You know, that must have been somewhat confusing to these three fellas who thought that the birth of this king would be a big deal to everybody who heard about it, but it wasn't. Um, even the religious experts weren't that excited about it. They remained seated. Um, they thought it was going to be a big deal and everybody's going to be excited, but nobody was except them. Are, they, are we fools to believe such a thing? All the experts were indifferent, too busy, loved Jerusalem. They couldn't be racing after sillinesses. And so they got back on their camels and traveled just a little bit further. And so uh, we're told that not only Jerusalem was troubled, but so was Herod. Guys, um, one of the things that Christmas does is that Christmas exposes hypocrisy. That's what happens here. Herod looks at him and says, Listen, you fellas go on down to Bethlehem and you find this king of yours and, and come back and, and tell me and, and, and I want to go worship him too. We all know that wasn't the truth. We all know that that was a little bit phony. We all know that Herod really didn't believe anything about that king of the Jews except he wanted to kill him. Because the, the presence of this king kind of exposes hypocrisy. Kind of like... Kind of like now, where, um, where people uh, do religious things, they, um, they sing religious songs, they give to benevolent causes, they, and yet they're really not interested in the birth of this king. You know, um, I'll tell you another story about my... My restaurant, my Wednesday night restaurant, and another television. I, I did that last week. This is two in a row. But uh, we, we pretty much eat at the same place on Wednesday night. And uh, one of those Wednesday nights back in November, it was the 19th of November, because I looked it up. Um, it was the 30th anniversary of Larry King Live. And so Larry King Live, and by the way, my wife and I don't sit at that table and watch and gawk at the television. It's just... When you see all these personages, it's kind of, you know, it kind of catches your attention. But Larry King Live was announcing his, um, or he was celebrating his 30th anniversary. And, um, you know, Larry King is an interviewer. But uh, on one occasion, he was asked, uh, the tables kind of turned, and um, uh, he was asked, of all the people in all of the history of mankind, who would you like to interview the most? And he quickly replied, Jesus Christ. A skeptical Jew wants to interview Jesus Christ. And, and tell us, Larry, what would you ask him? And Larry King said, I would like to ask him if he was truly virgin born. Because the answer of that question would redefine history for me. You know, Larry King's right. And Herod knew that. That is, if this king is being born, it's going to redefine all of history. And Herod is troubled. Herod knew that it was going to cost him his throne. And I wonder how many there are today who reject Jesus Christ because 
they want to remain on that throne. I don't want to hear any talk of a new king because I want to be king. How many of there are, ladies and gentlemen, who think that if this is true, if the gospel that we preach is true, then I'm going to lose. Don't bring that stuff in here. It'll only cause trouble. The gospel will interfere with my my pursuits. And so, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, the announcement that a baby who is the king of the Jews being born, when that gets to Jerusalem, everybody's troubled. Herod and all of Jerusalem is troubled because this new king is being born. Now, guys, that's somewhat of the story. What I want to do as I close is I want to summarize in about four or five ways how this ought to make us wiser. That story, I'm hoping, will make us wiser in these ways. Number one, my brother and sister in Christ, you and I follow a rumor. It's a rumor that has reordered and restructured our lives, every nook and cranny of it. It's a long journey, and it began the day that we embraced the rumor. The day that we believed that the rumor about this king was true, that was the day that the new journey began, and all of life has been reordered with that rumor at the center of it. And some people look at us on that journey and say, you're fools. Perhaps we are. I, I, I found this statement. It's about seven or eight sentences from Frederick Beekner. Let me read it to you. If the world is sane, then Jesus is mad as a hatter and the Last Supper is the mad tea party. The world says, mind your own business. And Jesus says, there is no such thing as your own business. The world says, follow the wisest course and be a success. And Jesus says, follow me and be crucified. The world says, drive carefully. The life you save may be your own. And Jesus says, whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The world says, law and order. And Jesus says, love. The world says, get. And Jesus says, give. In terms of the world's sanity, Jesus is crazy as a coot. And anybody who thinks he can follow him without being a little crazy too is laboring less under the cross than under a delusion. We are fools for Christ's sake, Paul says. A faith that says, the faith that ultimately the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men and the lunacy of Jesus is saner than the grim sanity of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, there was a time in our lives when we believed a rumor, and as a result of believing it, it launched, it launched a lifelong journey and began only with a whiff. A scent of the divine, a scent of the eternal, and before you know it, it took over. 
It took over in my family. It took over in my job. It took over in my morality. The whiff of the eternal took over. And all of my life has been constructed because I believe in something that I've never seen. It's only... It's only a rumor. And it's changed everything. A second way that I hope the wise one will make us wiser. Ladies and gentlemen, as people who follow a rumor, our lives are a testimony to the invisible, eternal, unseen world. Our our very existence is a testimony. In the midst of us making and launching and proceeding on this journey, we are a testimony to another kingdom, another world. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I, this I, I don't know that I should say, but I've been struggling much of the morning because I know that you are happy about something. And I'm glad you're happy. I know that as an American, you're really happy. That Saddam Hussein has been captured. And any American would be. But ladies and gentlemen, you and I belong to another kingdom. With another set of rules. With another king. And in that kingdom, ladies and gentlemen, it's faith that is valued. Our very existence gives testimony and witness to a different kingdom. If the church of Jesus Christ does her job rightly, we teach you and we speak about a different language. Guys, the world watches us and says, what in the world are you doing? That's a crazy journey that you're on. Get back to your families. Like they did these guys. Why do you run your business that way? Why did you keep that child? Why do you spend your money that way? It's because of the rumor. It's the rumor that seeped into our souls and our whole life has been reconstructed around our commitment to it. I heard a story this week. That I think illustrates what I'm trying to say, but it was, it was a couple who were in the, the third trimester of their pregnancy. And she had begun to develop some problems and she, uh, they went to see the doctor and the, and the doctor did all the tests and came in and said, well, I'm, I'm afraid I've got some bad news for you. The child that you're carrying has some very significant physical problems. And he said, um, my advice to you, my counsel to you is to terminate this pregnancy. And to his everlasting credit, the first one that spoke out was the husband. And he said, well, why would we want to do that? And there was a little bit more. And he kept, the doctor kept trying to convince them that they should terminate the pregnancy. And finally, he kind of said, all right. And he walked out the door. And he's walking down the hall. He passed the preacher that was coming to see them. And he turned to the preacher and he said, "Um, you need to talk some sense into them. So he goes in there, hears the story, and, and um, everybody's crying, and you know, they, they work through it, and, and she has an appointment, and three days later, she comes back, and she says, the husband with her, and says, Doctor, um, and by the way, he repeats his, his advice, and he determinates the pregnancy, and, and um, they said, Doctor, we're, we're not going to terminate the pregnancy. 
we're not, we're not going to do that. In fact, and then the husband spoke up and he said, we've concluded, doctor, that there could be no better home in the world for this child to be raised in than in ours. Why do you do that? Why do you think like that? Why do you make the choices that you make and the decisions that you make and the behaviors that you display? Why? The rumor. The rumor has taken hold of your soul. And all of life is now reordered by it. And your very existence, my friends, your very existence gives testimony that there is another world. This isn't all there is. The dynamo, the electric motor, the computer chip, nor the splitting of the atom is no longer, has never ever been, the driving force behind history. It's that God you believe in. That you've never seen. You only believe. Thirdly, guys, again, your existence, your very existence, just the fact that you live is troubling. Everything about you, ladies and gentlemen, troubles people who have not embraced what you've embraced. When our hearts have been made alive by Christ, the, the changes that that make in us are very troubling to everybody around us. We, we come to know Christ and we think that everybody is going to be really excited about this new thing that we found. And we ask them, where is he? And they say, don't bother me. And the whole idea that you're in this pursuit, you're in this chase, you're on this journey, you're headed in a direction. My friends, that's troubling. Because most of the people that you're around don't like talk about another king. They have one. And they're perfectly happy with him. And all this talk about this new king that you found. That's upsetting. So, my friends, don't expect the world to applaud your journey. They're not. Au contraire. They're troubled by the path that they see you on. Because if you're on the right one, that means they're on the wrong one. And then fourthly, Does the gospel of Jesus Christ trouble you? A a gospel that was intended to mean good news troubled these people. Does it trouble you? Are you troubled by infinite mercy? Ladies and gentlemen, the, 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 the true Christmas story will scare you spitless. Unless the Christ of Christmas is yours. Those who receive Jesus Christ. 
are absolutely enchanted by him. Others are troubled. Does Jesus Christ trouble you? Then perhaps, ladies and gentlemen, the reason he does is because you have never embraced him. With this final note, I finish. These three guys, at the end of their journey, they were rewarded by seeing him. And so will you. The journey we're on concludes in his presence. Our Father, I do pray that you will remind your people that, that because we believed in that which we've not seen, it has taken hold of our souls and has changed us from top to bottom. It has made us an, an enigma to the world. It has made us troublesome to the world. And we are a testimony to a brand new kingdom, one in which... The king is one of righteousness. Father, we do indeed look forward to that time when we will conclude the journey and that we will find ourselves in the presence of the one we've been chasing after. So, Father, if you've brought people here today who have not yet embraced this Savior, might they see him in all of his beauty, that for those outside of Christ, indeed, he troubles. For those of us inside Christ, he is our soul's delight. Now, Father, send us further into this journey with a greater determination to withstand whatever difficulties we have to face and to deal with whatever accusations of folly we may hear, knowing that faith is being certain of that which we have not seen, but we know at the base of our souls it is real. Thank you for opening our eyes to see the beauty of this message, the message of Jesus Christ born and Jesus Christ crucified. We, uh, we delight, our delight is in Him. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name.